As we continue to worship through the hearing of God's word this morning, we're going to resume our series in the one another's. But before we do that, I just want to take some some time to uh, remind you of why we are studying the one another's, why we're studying the one another's. As our church continues to grow, it is important for us to remember why God has brought us together as a church to minister to one another and to the community around us. When we gather, we are here to proclaim and remind one another of the excellencies of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to do. We're here to encourage one another with the truths that we find in Scripture. And as much as we do genuinely love every single one of you and desire to minister to the individual needs that we have in the congregation, we are reminded in the Scriptures in the one another's, that church is not, first and foremost, a place where each individual member of the church comes to be personally edified and served. That sounds like a pretty weird statement, doesn't it? But that is only a small part of what the church does. It's only a small part of what we as a church do. The main reason why we gather together as a church is because we are here to worship the Lord. That's why we are here. We are here to worship God, not to be functionally worshipped ourselves. So please hear me and understand. I'm not saying that your personal growth in Jesus Christ is not important. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. It is incredibly important. We want to do whatever we can to help you, to be faithful, to help you grow in all aspects of Christ-likeness here at SFBC. However, what I want us to recognize uh, here together is that as our church gets bigger, the needs of our people grow. And sure, we might have more people helping out with some of these needs, but more often than not, as the needs grow in the church, the same people who are already serving in other ministries are the ones who are answering the call to help out with these new needs. And so part of the reason why we are studying the one another's together is to remind every believer in this church that we are all members of one body. We are all members of one body. So no matter how long you've been walking with Christ, no matter how much you know, we all have a responsibility to minister to one another in the church in some way. This is not exclusive to the young people, nor is it exclusive for those who are more seasoned in the faith. It is for all of us. It is for all of us. And so if we truly want to accomplish our goal to glorify Christ within our own church family and in our community, then we must remember to grow in our one another mindset, right? to be thinking about others first and foremost rather than how can we personally be served and encouraged in the church. As we strive to glorify God in all that we do, we strive to be active and proactive about discovering needs in the church and trying to meet them, regardless if there are others who join us along the way or if you even get formal recognition of ministry in this church. And with that being said, we're now going to turn our attention to our study this morning. Speak truthfully to one another. 
Just a heads up, the style of this sermon is going to be a little different from what you are used to with me, but, uh, and it's because we're going to be looking at different texts, but as we expand on what it means to speak truthfully to one another, I pray that we can all consider how we can grow more in this area. And so uh, we'll be looking at a number of different passages this morning, but we're going to start off in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 17 to 25, and we'll be kind of weaving in and out of Ephesians chapter 4. All right, so Ephesians 4. 17 to 25, the Apostle Paul writes this. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for your word, and we pray that you would help us this morning to remember how we ought to act because of the salvation that we've been granted. We pray that, Lord, we would be people who speak truth, not just because you tell us to, but because we love you. So we pray that you would uh, be with us this morning as we study your word. It's your sons, and we pray. Amen. Well, the, the world that we live in today, it ha- we have a tricky relationship with the truth. We want the truth, but many times we will only accept the truth if it agrees with us and our set of values and beliefs. If it fits our narrative, that's when we'll take it. In a day and age where we're encouraged to live our truth and to speak our truth, truth is no longer something that is objective. It is no longer something that is certain. It is something that changes from person to person. And instead of something that is, being, something that is concrete and immovable, Truth has become something that is fuzzy and subjective. We live in a world where Obi-Wan's truth from a certain point of view is a regular part of how we interact with one another. Now, as Christians who are supposed to be one body working together to build one another up in godliness and working together to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the community around us, how can we do our job well if we are not in the habit of speaking truthfully to one another? Sure, we can skate by and seemingly not hurt the growth of the body when we are not entirely truthful and open with one another. We can hide sin from one another. We can tell people that we're doing fine when in fact it feels as if our soul is being shredded in a thousand pieces. If we keep those things to ourselves, nobody else will be worse for the wear, right? 
Not entirely true. So the question that we must ask ourselves here is, is this how God wants us to operate as believers? Is this how God wants us to operate as believers? And this morning, our study of truth and, and how truth ought to come out in our speech will, be, um, will help us understand, one, why Christians speak truthfully to one another, and two, how Christians speak truthfully to one another. Okay, so why Christians speak truthfully to one another and how Christians speak truthfully to one another. So why Christians speak truthfully to one another? Well, uh, the first reason why Christians speak truthfully to one another is because truth is rooted in God's character. Truth is rooted in God's character. He himself is the definition of truth. And this is not something that only applies to God the Father. Truth characterizes God the Son and God the Holy Spirit as well. And we're going to take a look first at how truth is related to God the Father. Now, as Paul writes uh, writes to the Ephesians uh, here uh, in Ephesians 4, he is drawing their attention to what is uh, likely a very familiar idea to many of you the response Christians should have to the salvation that they've graciously received from God. And since they've been saved from their sins, verse 17, Paul tells the Ephesians that both he and God want them to know that they no longer live like the Gentiles or those who are unbelievers. They no longer ought to live like that. They have been changed in salvation. They're no longer ignorant of their sins or what God has done for for them in salvation, which is why, verse 20, the Ephesians are reminded that that's not what they learned when they came to faith, right? To live, to continue to live in their ignorance, in their darkness. That's not what they learned when they came to faith. Therefore, they are to, verse 24, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And so as we are commanded to put on the new self, you notice what Paul says here. He says the new self that we've been commanded to put on has been created in the likeness of God, in righteousness and holiness of the truth. God is characterized by truth. And God himself confirms this. You know, after that disaster with the golden calf, Moses begs that God would show him his glory. And when God reveals himself to Moses, right, he puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and he kind of hides him there and he shows him his backside, he proclaims in Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. See, as God was passing before Moses, he was telling Moses who he was, right? You see that he is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in loving kindness and truth. So one of God's attributes that he makes known to us is the fact that he is truth, that he's abounding in truth. And unlike mankind, unlike us, there is no deceit in God, There are no lies in God. You and I have deceit in our hearts. When the majority of us find ourselves in deep trouble unexpectedly, what's our natural response? What is our natural response? Tell the truth immediately, right? No. 
It's not to tell the truth immediately. Our first thought is, our first thought is, I didn't do it, right? Or what can I say? What can I say right now that can help me get out of this tricky situation? Or to make this less uncomfortable or perhaps even get me off the hook entirely? Right? Maybe we'll say like, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't see you there. Or we'll say, oh, I'm so sorry that I was so rude to you. My stomach was hurting, I wasn't feeling great, I didn't eat this morning, my blood sugar was low. Right? We'll just come up with all these excuses, but really... We made a boo-boo, right? We made a mistake. We're just trying to cover it up with half-truths or just straight-out lies. Right? But God is not like us. He is abounding in truth. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. He doesn't need to lie. Right? Nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? You see, not only is God the very definition of truth and righteousness, but God doesn't act like us in any way. He doesn't lie. He doesn't sin, so he doesn't need to repent. His integrity is so unlike ours that he, said, that he, that he says he will do something, and he actually does it. God does not exaggerate. Everything that he says he means. Everything that he says, he means. And so when God says that he will forgive all our sins and make us like his son, he absolutely means every single word. He means absolutely every single word. And we praise him for that. That he's not just talking the talk, but he actually means it. Praise God for that salvation that he gives us. God the Father is not the only one who declares his truthfulness. Jesus came to reveal more about God to us. In 1 John 5.20, the Apostle John tells us that the Son of God came and he gave us understanding so that we will know who God the Father is. And so not only do we get to know him who is true, we are also united with God the Father because we've been unified with Christ. If God our Father is truth and always acts truthfully and righteously and we are united with him, then we too must be characterized by truth. But as you can see on the screen, uh, it's not just God who is uh, characterized by truth. God the Son, Jesus, is also characterized by the truth as well. In John 14, 6, Jesus makes it very clear to his disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one is able to have a relationship with God the Father except through him. Now, the only way that that is possible is if God the Father and God the Son are one, and that's exactly what Jesus confirms. And so when Jesus says that he is the truth and the life, we immediately ought to be thinking about how God had described himself to his people previously. Those are the same descriptions that Jesus takes on, right? The same descriptions as the descriptions of God. And so if God is the only true God, if he is the very definition of the truth, and Jesus is also the very definition of truth, and he provides access to God the Father, then Jesus and the Father are one. They are both characterized by righteousness and truth. Now, going back to Ephesians 4, Paul reminds us in Ephesians 4, 20 to 21, of the truths that we've believed in the gospel. 
But the things that we were taught when we believed in Jesus Christ are as true as the truth that is in Jesus himself. Right? What we've been taught is as true as the truth that characterizes Jesus himself. And so since the teaching of the gospel is true, just like Jesus himself is true, then we, Christians, have a responsibility, a moral responsibility, to behave differently than those who are unsaved. That's why he says, you did not learn Christ in this way. To continue to live like an unbeliever, you did not learn Christ in that way. That's why you ought to lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. You see, the old self, the sinful nature that all of us had before we repented of our sins and all of us continue to wrestle with now, it is presently being corrupted. It's happening to us. It's passive, but it is presently happening to us all. The old self loves sin, right? You know it. And for those of you who have walked with Christ, even for a little bit, you know that the pool of your heart to sin is like a magnet to a refrigerator, Our hearts love sin. And that love for sin only intensifies when we believe the lies that sin tells us. For example, in relationship to lying, since we're talking about lying, if we believe that not telling the truth is justified, or that speaking partial truths doesn't hurt others, then the deceit in our hearts will lead us to believe that the consequences of not telling the truth are either non-existent or minimal. And so, what starts out as a small act of deceit will lead to more sin. We can talk about the moral, the, the ethical implications of, you know, is there ever a time where we don't tell the truth? We can talk about that some other time. But what we're talking about in general is that we ought to be characterized by truth. We ought to be characterized by truth because the sin in our hearts, it'll cling to that little morsel of deceit and it's just going to want more. It's just going to want more. So if we've been saved from our sins and we want to have close fellowship with God, if we want to experience the pleasure and joy of God over us, then sins like lying and deceit, sins that Paul calls falsehood in Ephesians 4.25, are sins that should no longer be a regular part of our lives. We might slip into them, In a a moment of of panic, in a moment of fear, or even in a moment of greed. But when we do find that we've given into that temptation to lie, we must and can confess our sin to the Lord. Repent of our sin and make our sin right as much as we can, as best as we can. God will be faithful to forgive us our sins. As we've just seen, um, our commitment to be people who are truthful people, it's rooted in the fact that God the Father is truth, and it's rooted in the fact that God the Son is truth. Now, we're going to quickly examine how God the Holy Spirit is truth. In John 14, 17, Jesus tells his disciples that even though 
he will leave them for a time to prepare a place for them. He's going to ask that, the, that God the Father will provide for them a helper. And the helper, the Holy Spirit, is described as the spirit of truth who abides with Christians. He in us and with us. He's in us and with us. And so what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, Jesus explains in John 16, uh, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. See, the Holy Spirit, he's the spirit of truth, and he guides us in all truth. Every aspect of, of God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is rooted in truth. And since the Holy Spirit is also defined by the truth, his ministry to us is characterized by the purposes that have been set forth, the purposes that have been given to us by God the Father and Jesus Christ. And he guides us into all of the truth so that we can be like Christ. He teaches us all of the truth so that we can be like Christ. That is what God wants for us, is it not? God's highest goal for us is not that we be healthy and wealthy. It is not that we find our highest satisfaction in work or in the accomplishments of our local sports teams. His highest goal for us is not that we accomplish all of our own personal goals so that we can be fully satisfied with the life that we want to live. That is not God's highest goal for us. His highest goal for us is found in Romans 8.29. For those of us whom God has saved, he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's his highest desire for us. That's his highest goal for us. It's for us to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, those of you who are familiar with your Bibles, the moment I said Romans 8.20, you're probably thinking, oh, he's going to say Romans 8.28. Right? God works all things together for those who are good, for, the, for, for our good, for those who love him. Right? And that's true, right? but the context tells us that the good that God works together in our lives is not that you are happy. It is not that you are abundantly satisfied with the life that we have now. As we look at it in the context, our highest good, or the good that God works together in our lives, is not that the suffering or the trials that are in our lives just end soon, but that we be conformed to the image of his son. That is our highest good, brothers and sisters. That is the highest good that God desires for us. Not that we can enjoy the gifts that he has given, but that we be conformed to the image of his son so that we can enjoy his presence in heaven forever. The Holy Spirit is in the business of helping us become more like Jesus Christ. That's what he came to do as he leads us in all truth. So you see, the truthfulness of our God plays a huge role 
in why we ought to speak truthfully to one another. Because he is true and we are unified with him. We have that responsibility, right? that moral responsibility to be holy as he is holy. And that's the charge that God gave uh, back in Leviticus 11 and 19. It's a charge that he gave also in 1 Peter 1. So in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we are told you are to be holy because I am holy. We are to be righteous because he is righteous. We are to be truthful because he is truthful. And so if we lie, if we tell half-truths or we act deceitfully, what do we communicate to the world around us about our God? We definitely do not send the message that he is holy. We definitely do not tell them that he is the truth and that he hates sin. Our message would be the exact opposite. We'd be telling the world that God doesn't really care about sin as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. And we'd be telling the world that God's not a God who is perfect and cares about absolute righteousness and truth, but rather he's a God of, well, close enough. But that's not who our God is, right? He's not a God of, eh, close enough. He's a God of absolute righteousness. Now, I'm not saying that God demands absolute perfection from us right now. Right, that it's possible for you to achieve perfection in this life. But what I'm trying to point out to you this morning is that the only way that we are able to, perf- to, to perfectly satisfy God's perfect standard of righteousness and truth in our lives is due to the saving grace that we've been given through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only reason why you and I are able to stand before God at all. So when we stumble in sin, it's because of the mercy and grace of God that the sin that we committed is already considered paid for by Christ at the cross. It's because God has graciously granted us Christ's righteousness in salvation that we are no longer guilty of rebellion against him. God still demands holiness from us on the same level as his holiness That standard still exists, but it's paid for. It's met by Christ himself. And so praise God that when you and I fail, we have a great high priest who prays for us, who intercedes for us, and the Holy Spirit is with us still to help us learn from our mistakes and to do better next time. But it's all because of God's grace. And so make no mistake, just because we've been granted Christ's righteousness doesn't mean that we get to stop growing now. And we are still responsible to be more and more like Jesus. We don't get to coast. And that's why we are, we are told to keep growing, right? to excel still more. And we can apply that principle when it comes to speaking truthfully to uh, one another. Because we worship a God who is truth and because we are called to be like him, since we are unified in him, we ought to strive to be like him in his truthfulness. And even if we do do a decent job speaking truthfully to one another in general, let's aim to excel still more, to, to speak truthfully even better. Right. Um, let's, let's skip to the second reason. We're, we're going to move um, uh, to the second reason, how Christians speak truthfully to one another. Okay? We understand from God's character why we ought to be truthful people. Let's look at how. How Christians can speak truthfully to one another. So when we think about speaking truthfully to one another, it's easy for us to not think much more about what God is calling us to do. Right? Just, just be truthful. Right? It's that easy. 
And while it can be as simple as that, speaking truthfully with one another is likely more complicated than we might imagine. David Powelson, a dear brother in the Lord, a faithful biblical counselor, once said this, I have seen wrecked lives change simply because a friend cared and was willing to speak honestly like this. I love and respect you as a person, and I want what is good for you, but you are destroying yourself with what you believe in how you are living. You see, Pallison recognized that while those words are not always given in the most artful way, while they're not always presented in the most, uh, or they're not always presented in the best way, they can have a tremendous impact on people, especially the people that we love, because the words that we say are true, loving, personal, and appropriate. As you, as you even see that quote, right, of that confrontation, kind of makes you a little nervous, right? If someone were to come up to you and say, like, I see how you're living, and you're wrecking your life, or you're kind of like, oh, back off, man. Right? Just like, don't get up in my, in my business like that. Like, leave me alone. Right? That's what we'd be tempted to feel. But what we have to understand is that that's what we do when we speak the truth to one another. Right? We call each other out when we're in sin. We're trying to help one another. We're not trying to tear one another down. We'll get into that a little bit more. Right? But, but please, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that as long as the truth is communicated, the ends justify the means. Uh, or as uh, one popular misunderstanding is, the end justifies the mean, right? The meanness, right? Just because we want to help people realize the destructive patterns that may exist in their lives doesn't mean that we are excused from being overly blunt or downright mean in the way that we speak truth to others. There are times where we might need to be firm with others in what we say, but that firmness ought to be motivated by love. And so in the remaining time that we have this morning, we're going to take a look at some principles that we find in Scripture that help us refine the way that we speak truthfully to one another. And so first, we're going to look at uh, we lay aside falsehood. We lay aside falsehood. So in Ephesians 4.25, Paul makes the connection that the natural outflow of putting on the new self, which has been made in the likeness of God, is that we lay aside falsehood. We speak truth to one another because we are members with one another. Because we are all unified in, uh, in God through Christ, we're united to one another. And so, we ought to speak truthfully to one another. Colossians 3, 9, 10 says the same thing, that we, not, uh, that we are not to lie to one another because we've laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, uh, to, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created us. Okay, so we are to be truthful people because we've been saved from our sins. Right? We've been saved from that old practice of telling lies and acting deceitfully. Right? If that's how we act with one another in the body, how can we build a community of trust when we don't really trust the people around us? If we want to be a tight-knit community that has great times of fellowship and refreshing vulnerability that helps one another bear each other's burdens and strive to be more like Christ, we have to start by laying a foundation of being truthful to one another. For example, if, one of you, uh, if someone asks you how you are doing and you say, oh, I'm fine, I'm doing good, when that's not the truth, when you're not doing good, what have you just done? 
You've lied. Right? You've lied. You didn't tell the truth. You lied. Right? If, if someone asks you, hey, is, is something wrong? And you say, no, no, we're good. We're fine. But inside, you hate them and you are bitter against them? What have you done? You've lied. Right? Now, I understand. I understand that many of us in this congregation, we consider ourselves private people. And I also understand that there are some of us in our congregation who are maybe a little intrusive when it comes to how they get to know us. I understand those things. But the solution, the solution is not to tell lies so that you can feel comfortable. The solution is not to tell lies so that you can feel comfortable. Because, unfortunately, that lie that you told to get out of, reve- out of revealing more about your life is still a sin against God. Right? He doesn't say, like, oh, well, you know, I know you're a little shy, so don't worry about it. I got you. Right? He doesn't say that. It's still a sin. Right? Now, let me also be clear. Not every conversation that we have, especially when we're being honest, you know, that I'm not doing too well right now, right, needs to turn into an automatic counseling session right there and then. You don't have to be, it's like, oh, I'm not doing too good. You want to talk about it right now? Why don't we go into the church library? We'll talk for about an hour. Right? No, it doesn't, every conversation does not have to be like that. Right? It can just be something where it's just like, hey, you know what? Thanks for asking. I'm not doing really well right now. I can't get into the specifics right now, or I don't really want to get into the specifics right now, but if you could be praying for me, please, I'd really appreciate that. Right? That's all it takes. Right? Super simple. Maybe not exactly comfortable for some of you. Right? But it, that's all it takes to, be, to speak truthfully. Right? Not just to say, oh, it's good, when it's not. Or just be like, you know what, thank you for asking. It's not good, but please pray for me. Right? That's all it takes, to be truthful. Okay, um, okay. now uh, another principle is that we speak carefully. Okay? We speak carefully. James 3.8 says that no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Right? We have the great capacity with our tongue to build people up, but we also have the great capacity with our speech to destroy as well. Right? We can destroy as well. And uh, you know, the tongue is really powerful. Proverbs 15, 1-2 says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise men makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. And so if we're wise in our interactions with others, and we respond to wrathful words with gentleness, it makes it more likely that the person who is perhaps angry with us will either accept the truth that we're telling them, or our words, our gentle words, will perhaps soothe their anger. But if we respond instead with anger, right, and foolish speed, I don't let you know what's coming to you, right, we increase the chances that the anger that, that, uh, that the other person has continues, right? And the foolish disputes among us continues. I don't, I don't know how many times when I'm watching TV, I'm just like, I got to solve your problem right there. Just be, you know, just be patient. Just speak truthfully. Be, you know, uh, be kind with one another. Right? We tend to escalate and make problems worse on our own. Proverbs ten nineteen tells us when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Right? We've all been in those moments, right? When we've said a little too much, right? a little more than we should have. Right? We weren't careful. We dug a hole for ourselves. Right? And the more we try and explain ourselves, we dig that hole deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. But we have to be careful. Right? The way we avoid that is be careful. Be careful about how you speak. 
Right? Give some thought to what you're about to say. Make sure that you're not overly harsh. We want to make sure that we've thought our words through so that we are not needlessly offensive. Right? The gospel is offensive. We have permission because the gospel is offensive to be somewhat offensive, but not overly offensive. And being a truthful person does not mean that you go around speaking your mind, even if people get hurt. And it doesn't mean that you get to call it as it is and that people just need to grow tougher skin around you. Right? Be careful. Be extremely careful about using your personality as a cover for sin. I don't say that again. Be careful about using your personality as a cover for sin. God does not grant you your personality as a justification for your sinful lack of love and compassion for others. Just because you say, that's my personality. God doesn't care that it's just your personality. He came to change us, to make us like his son. So your personality doesn't matter. Your personal line doesn't matter. Speak the truth tactfully so that you can win people over to the truth rather than create enemies with your words. So we want to be careful. Don't excuse sin just because I'm speaking the truth. Don't excuse sin for that. Okay. um, Next principle. We speak truthful content to one another. Or in other words, we speak the scriptures to one another. This is a helpful guardrail for us to refine the way that we speak truth to one another. And Paul elaborates on this in Ephesians 5.19 when he says that we ought to be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that the only way that we get to talk to one another is if we're quoting the Gettys, City of Light, and Sovereign Grace music to each other. Right? <laughs> not just, or old hymns. Right? That's, that's, not, that's not what it means. Right? But the principle of what we see here is that the instruction that we've gained from the Scriptures... Right? It ought to influence the way that we speak truth to one another. We're not using the scriptures as a weapon against people who, who have offended us or, or whom we disagree with, but we are trying to keep the scriptures in the forefront of our minds so that we relate with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ rather than as enemies. So the scriptures are a helpful guardrail to us in how we speak one, with one another because careful meditation on what God's word has to say helps us honestly reflect on what's going on in our own hearts. Are we justified in saying what we want to say to others and how we want to say it? Or do the scriptures show us a better way? Right, the way of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And that leads us to the next principle. We speak the truth in love. Okay, we speak the truth in love. As you look at the surrounding context of Ephesians 4.15, right, that's a very... You know, we, we go there because it says specifically speak the truth in love right? but sometimes we think that speaking the truth in love means as long as I say whatever truth it is that I have in love that's all that matters right? as long as I say it in love that's all that matters but if you look at the surrounding context you actually realize that speaking the truth in love what, what, what defines the truth there what limits our understanding of what the truth is it's about doctrine that we're not swept away by every wind of doctrine, every wave of doctrine. We're talking about good doctrine. We're not talking about whatever your truth is. We're talking about, about speaking doctrinal truth to one another so that we can all grow in spiritual maturity. Now, I know some of you come out of different church experiences where people are very heavy-handed on confronting others over sin. Now, granted, there are times when that confrontation is deserved. But 
If we are not wise about how we go about confronting others, if we confront others over an issue of preference or opinion rather than an area of clearly defined sin, we run the risk of saying more than the scriptures have said. We run the risk of saying more than the scriptures intended to say. Now, one of my professors used to say this. If you study the scriptures and you come to an understanding of the text that no one else in church history has come to, be careful. Right? And that also applies to, if you, if you come to a conclusion of what the Bible says, and only a few people agree with you, you also ought to be careful. Especially if those people are heretics. Right? If they're heretics, they don't be like, well, the, the, the dead liberal German said this. It's like, no, don't, don't go with what the dead liberal German says. If you didn't know, a lot of the heresy that comes into the church comes from, the dead, from, from a lot of dead liberal German guys. I'm not being racist, um, right? but um, that's where a lot of it comes come from. Anyway, when we strive to speak truth to one another in love, this is not a free pass to say whatever you want to say as long as it's loving. Okay, it's not a free pass. This is a reminder that any kind of correction or reproof that we might have to give as a result of someone holding to wrong doctrine ought to be done in a loving way. We model Paul's ministry. We're gentle like a nursing mother, right? Nursing mothers are gentle, or they ought to be, right, to their children. But also, we are firm in, uh, we are, we are firm in exhorting and encouraging and imploring people to do what's right like a father, at least like our father ought to. Right? So as we strive to teach, exhort, encourage, and even admonish others, we are to do so out of a loving concern for that other person. Right? And finally, we are to edify others. We speak to edify others. We speak to edify others. Okay, in Ephesians 4.29, Paul commands his readers, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. When we speak, we speak to build people up, right? not to tear them down. Now, wholesome words that build people up, sometimes they are correction. It's not always encouragement. Right? For instance, if you are in physical therapy and you're doing the exercise incorrectly, and the physical therapist tells you, hey, why don't you lift your hip up a little bit more? Right? Or why don't you change your positioning there? You cannot, you better not, say to, to your physical therapist, right, how dare you speak to me like that? You're supposed to build me up. Why are you giving me constructive feedback? How dare you? Right? If you said that, that's ridiculous. Right? They got the doctor, not you. Anyways, right? when, we give, when, we, when we give correction, right, sometimes that is something that builds people up. Right? That builds people up. And so perhaps, perhaps we would actually benefit a little bit more from a cool down. Or scheduling a different kind of conversation for another time for the person that you want to confront in the moment, right? Um, um, right. And uh, anyways, a lot can be said here, but I want to focus our application here on edifying others this morning uh, on where we're tempted to allow for these unwholesome words to proceed and when we get into arguments and fights with other people. Or if you don't like those words, if we get into disagreements with other people, Okay. Um, if you're disagreeing with people. It's really tempting, right, to tear others down rather than to build them up. But when we are red hot and we're itching to let that other person know what is coming to them, we have to remember that that does not constitute speaking truthfully to one another. That's just speaking angrily towards one another. And so, if we're going to speak the truth to one another, we keep the truth central in our disagreement. 
Well, we're also remembering, we're striving to remember, that the person whom we are fighting with or disagreeing with is someone that God loves, someone whom God loves. And so we want to be fair in our communication. I'm running out of time, but it's worth it. Okay, we want to be fair in our communication. Right? Avoid, you always do this, or you never do this. Right? Avoid that always, never language. And that's exaggeration, and that's a lie. Right? Exaggeration is lying. And so be careful about that. Be fair in your communication. You also want to be careful about attacking the other person and allowing for a bitter spirit over perceived injustices or wrongs in the past, real or, or, uh, real or not, right? to be the thing that sets the tone for the, con- for the conversation. Let's think about it this way. Would God be pleased with how you are handling your conflict? Would God be pleased with how you're handling your conflict? And if you think yes, double check. If you think yes, double check. Because if you recognize that God would not be pleased with how you're handling conflict, then you need to ask yourself another question. How would God, or how does God want me to handle this conflict so that I may glorify him even in how I resolve this conflict? Now, I understand that speaking truthfully to one another is difficult. Right? What I'm saying to you guys, right? it ought to make you a little squirmy and a little uncomfortable because it's like, oh, who does that? People of God who do that. Right? The people of God do that. So as Christians, you know, we, uh, this morning what we looked at is why we ought to speak, to one, uh, speak truthfully to one another and how we are to speak truthfully to one another. This is not a comprehensive guide that tells you how to speak truthfully in every single aspect of our lives. But what we want to recognize is that our desire to be truthful is rooted in the truthfulness of God and the commands that he's given us. And so I pray that um, what we studied in God's word this morning will be uh, something that helps us, encourages us to speak truthfully to one another.